Welcome to episode 59 of the Rich Roll Podcast with fitness guru Ben Greenfield. The Rich Roll Podcast. Plant Power. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I am Rich Roll. This is the Rich Roll Podcast. What's up, wellness warriors, plant-based freaks, fitness fanatics? Hope everybody had a great Halloween. I wanted to talk about Halloween for a little bit. If you've been listening to the show, you might recall a recent episode where Julie and I kind of talked about Halloween and the problems that it often poses uh, if you have kids, how to navigate the pitfalls of Halloween and everything that it presents. I don't know about you, but I love Halloween. We love Halloween as a family. We make a big deal out of it every year. We spend weeks putting together our costumes, and it's a ton of fun. We all look forward to it very much, but we have to deal with this issue of how do we go around and trick-or-treat and collect all of this crazy, crappy candy And how do you deal with the kids who want to eat it uh, and be a responsible parent who is supposed to be guiding their kids in the right direction with respect to nutrition and health? Um, It's a conundrum. You know, it's a tricky, it's a sticky wicket, I guess you could say, because you want the kids to have fun and you want to have fun and you want to kind of do what everyone else is doing, which means uh, collecting a gigantic bag or bags if you have more than one kid. Of, uh, of all of this junk, all of this prepackaged, terrible-for-you candy loaded with high-fructose corn syrup and the like, um, and in the meantime, supporting these companies that produce this stuff that is making us sick. Uh, and so Julie and I, actually Julie, it was really her brainchild, she put it together, and you might remember us talking about it in a, in a much earlier episode with Juliana Hever, we decided we were going to do something different this year. We were going to host our own party called Plant Powered Halloween and invite like-minded families to come on over to our house, and we would host the festivities, um, but we were going to do it a little bit differently. We were going to require that... There were two things, kind of two rules, I guess you could say. No store-bought costumes, none of that kind of plastic nonsense that's so easy to kind of go to Costco and just pick up and abdicate all kind of parental involvement in the the joy and the hard work of uh, creating your own costume with your child and constructing it (laughs) over a number of days or, in our case, weeks. Um, You had to... Uh, create your own costume at home, make it yourself somehow, be creative, sort of compel the kids to think outside the box and the parents also to get more involved and not do the kind of easy thing uh, of just picking something up at the store. So that was rule number one. Rule number two was uh, none of that candy junk, Uh, but each family was to bring their own plant-powered Halloween treats, homemade, organic sweets. And uh, we didn't know how it was going to go. We didn't know uh, who was going to show up. Um, We had a lot of interest. And at the last minute, some families backed down. And I understand that. You know, the kids at the last minute say, I don't want to go to a party. I want to trick-or-treat like everyone else. So it's always very difficult when you decide you're going to do something that is kind of at odds with popular culture. Um, And we knew that uh, it was going to be a challenge this first year to pull this thing off. But I'm happy to say that we had an amazing time. If you follow me on Instagram, 
at Rich Roll on Instagram. I posted a, a group picture of everybody that showed up at our party, and we had an absolute blast. We built uh, a haunted house. I should say Tyler and Trapper, my sons, <laughs> spent two days constructing it. It was incredible in the garage. Super awesome. And uh, we had a ton of kids with wildly creative costumes. And all the parents brought their own homemade treats and they each set up a table. So we had all these different stations there. And Julie uh, whipped up her genius in the kitchen and came up with uh, some amazing recipes, one of which was the recipe that Chef AJ uh, shared on a recent uh, episode um, with the, uh, the, I can, they're the caramel chocolate apples dipped or whatever. Um, and they were incredible. So we had amazing treats that tasted delicious, but were all organic. Um, vegan, uh, and still, you know, still Halloween treats, sweets and the like, but in the grand spectrum of Halloween, uh, food, I guess you could say far, far, far more healthy. And, uh, you know, kids just want to have a good time. And these kids had a great time and I'm so excited about what we're going to be able to do next year. All the parents left, they were so kind of I think like relieved, like, oh my gosh, we can have a really fun time without having to do it the way that everyone else does it. And the kids can go home happy. The parents can go home happy feeling like they, uh, you know, were acting responsibly with respect to to health and nutrition. Um, And it was a win-win for everybody. And our goal is to help inspire you guys out there, families across the United States and the globe who celebrate Halloween, to try this yourself. We had such fun. And uh, the parents were ecstatic to be able to do this and to see the kids actually enjoying it and not feeling like they were missing out by uh, going around the neighborhood was really a blast. Because I think what happens uh, is, you know, when you go trick-or-treating in the neighborhood and the kids bring home the gigantic stash, then it becomes this, you know, weird negotiation with your kids about how to get them to give up the remainder of this gigantic bag of candy or avoid eating it yourself. And so you make these deals like here, you know, let's trade the candy in for, uh, I don't know, a new toy or something like that. And, it becomes awkward and, and bizarre, and then you end up throwing out all this stuff. And in the meantime, you're supporting these gigantic candy companies that are making us sick. So we're excited about this new way of doing it. Um, and the great thing was to get all the kids involved in planning the party. And so there's a sort of pride of ownership that goes along with it. Uh, and I can guarantee you that our kids will never forget this experience. It was really special. And just the process of, you know, being with the kids and creating the costumes with them, uh, coming up with creative solutions and materials to make what they want, uh, as opposed to just picking it up at the store is a joy as a parent, you know, and I think that the kids will, will always remember that. So we're really proud of what we were able to pull off and, and pretty excited about what we're going to do next year. We're going to put a little bit more thought into it, expand it, maybe put up a maze and, you know, do some really cool stuff. And so anyway, if there are other parents out there that are interested in doing this themselves, uh, reach out to us, leave a comment uh, on the comment section for this blog post. Um, and we're happy to kind of help share with you guys what we did and I'll have Julie back on and maybe we'll do like a full longer recap of that experience. But it was very gratifying 
and uh, it was cool. I love Halloween. It was awesome. I hope your guys' Halloween was cool, too. Uh, today on the show, we have fitness guru Ben Greenfield. Uh, he was an early guest on my podcast uh, way back when. I don't remember what episode number it was, and we did it on Skype. And uh, despite the fact that that I've guested on Ben's show a number of times, back when I did Epic Five and um, first and second Ultraman. I was a guest on his show and on Endurance Planet, which he also owns and controls, but we had never uh, met in person. So it was really cool to finally hook up in person with this guy, sit down, have an in-person chat, and uh, we went through a lot of stuff. It was really fun. We talked about, um, you know, I'm really interested in how he's taken his fitness acumen, his experience and knowledge in, in fitness and in diet and nutrition and turned it into a really successful, viable business. So we talk a little bit about that, you know, kind of on the entrepreneurial tip. We talk about uh, his recent experiment uh, training for an Ironman on a high fat, low carb, almost no carb uh, diet and what that was like. He kind of did this experiment on himself to try to find out whether you could be an endurance athlete in this sort of ketosis state. And if you listen to this show, you kind of know what my opinion is on eating that way. Uh, but, you know, we had a very kind of open-minded discussion about what he found out uh, personally in his experience, what worked, what didn't work. And it was it was compelling and interesting to hear that story. He also just had Durian Ryder on his show. We talk a little bit about that, about uh, my experience having Durian Ryder on my show and, uh, and, 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 and him being on Ben's show, uh, which is entertaining and fun. Um, we talked about our points of commonality, you know, all the energy that goes into – kind of getting guys like Ben and I to argue with each other, whether it's Ben and Vinny and Abel James at the Fat Burning Man, or what does Rich think about this? And, you know, Ben and Rich disagree. And what about Vinny? And, you know, what does Dave Asprey say? And this sort of cabal of health and fitness podcasters that has kind of um, blossomed on the scene in, in iTunes and across the internet, this uh, this kind of community that's developed and what it has sort of spawned in terms of uh, a popular dialogue about these issues, which I relish and, and enjoy. So we get into all of that. We talk about flu shots. We talk about homeschooling. He homeschools his kids, and it was really interesting to hear you know his approach to that, being a homeschooled kid himself. So anyway, really enjoyed this interview. Uh, it was great uh, spending time with Ben in person, and I look forward to having him on the show again multiple times and getting together and get with him in person and getting to know him a little bit better. So I think you'll enjoy this piece. Um, and before we get into to it. Uh, other ways to support the show, use the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. You can just click on that. Uh, we have a new banner ad for Amazon UK for all of the people uh, overseas in the United Kingdom who've been following the show. Uh, you're always buying stuff on Amazon, right? So just click through the banner ad on richroll.com first. It takes you to Amazon, buy whatever you're going to buy does not cost you one cent extra. It probably adds two seconds to your purchase time. And uh, Amazon kicks us uh, a little bit of loose change, which keeps us going. Uh, so please do that. Bear it in mind. You can also donate to the podcast. Uh, there's a donate button. Uh, we've got products on the site, some nutritional products, uh, my athletic recovery supplement. We got a vitamin B12 supplement. We have a downloadable PDF cookbook with delicious recipes, the things that I eat to fuel my training and the things that we feed our kids 
all very delicious, nutritious, and easy to prepare. We have a meditation program, uh, Jai Release, which is highly effective. Thanks for everybody who's been sending emails about how uh, much it is improving their daily experience. A lot of questions about t-shirts. We have some plant-powered t-shirts that we're going to be getting up on the site soon. Please be patient. Uh, We're building a new uh, online shopping cart and redesigning some things on the site, and these things take time. So I want to have it all dialed in perfectly before I put all this stuff up so that there aren't any problems with shipping and fulfillment and all that kind of nonsense. And so uh, it seems easy just throw up a store on your site, but it's actually a little bit more complicated than that. So it's taking a little bit of time. I can't say with uh, with uh, any kind of confidence the exact date that we're going to launch it. I hope to have it done uh, within the next three or four weeks. It might take a little bit longer, so stay tuned. But we're going to offer like three or four T-shirts, not just the one that you might have seen on Instagram or Twitter. Um, and we're going to be building it out with all kinds of garments, cycling kit, Um, and some cool stuff coming up. We're going to have signed books, uh, a whole variety of products, which I'm really excited about with that. It's just in development right now. So anyway, uh, also interested in uh, plant-based nutrition, Julie and I have an online course at mindbodygreen.com, the ultimate guide to plant-based nutrition. So whether you're a longtime vegan or just interested in getting more vegetables and fruits, and legumes into your diet and not sure how to approach that, uh, this is for you. It's uh, three and a half hours of online video content broken down into five to 10 minute segments with an online community. It's really cool. Uh, I'm very proud of it. Uh, Check that out at mindbodygreen.com. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And 
With that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Ben Greenfield, ladies and gentlemen, good dude tons of information. The guy loves to geek out on uh, on nutrition stuff. He loves to use himself as a guinea pig. So get out the propeller hats, uh, get out the notebooks. You might want to write this stuff down, but it's a really interesting conversation and uh, proud to call this guy my friend. And without further ado, enjoy the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Greenfield. You gonna build a soundproof room? Soundproof room, yeah. Downstairs, away from the kids. Super so, fantastic private yeah, podcasting. Yeah, I'll put up an electric fence so they can't go near it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it'll be the, the ultimate man cave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kid, let's see your fingerprints. Yeah, you can't even hear the knock. <laughs> Retinal scans. Well, it's like it, in my house, uh, the kids will be completely quiet and until it's like, okay, now I'm going to try to record a tag for a podcast. And then the minute you do that, that you're just like yeah. putting the energy out. To they decide just, like the, to sing you know. their favorite song. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, you had to do that I know. right now. I, so I, you know, I, I like to kind of just keep that stuff. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's like, hey, you're a human being, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. you're not doing a radio show. Exactly. And it's free. Yeah, so. it's exactly. But, you know, <laughs> as I've, I've said before, people get very demanding about their free content. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I've true. experienced a little bit of that. I'm sure you have. 
Yeah. So, uh, so thanks for driving all the way out here, man. Mm. It's awesome to be here. I, uh, uh, I was able to get away from the from the gray, cloudy Washington state and slip down to California for a week and make my wife jealous. So. Oh, you're not you're you're here alone for this trip. I'm here alone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just me and my rental car and uh-huh. my sunglasses. So. And the nice weather. And the nice weather. Yeah. Yeah. Only o- thing missing is a bicycle. October, it's a shame to come out this way without a bike. I mean, I October is like the nicest month. The yeah. riding out here is epic. So next yeah. time. Yeah, I know. I got I to gotta eventually get one of those suitcase bikes. You can get um, oh you mean you mean the cases to travel yeah. with or well no I have the case but like the actual foldable bikes oh right like right, the carbon right. bikes that you well can I could hook you up with a bike so. down here there's a big yeah. ride on Sunday you're gonna yeah. miss really yeah the uh, Mike Nosco Memorial Ride does it's like eight thousand feet of climbing over eighty miles oh, and money for a great cause are you gonna do it I am gonna do it yeah nice. so it gets nice. a pretty good crowd every year so I'm looking forward nice. to it nice yeah man so next time. I'll the bike it. has to come. I'll do it. So what are you doing in L.A.? All sorts of stuff. I came down here to meet uh, today. Earlier had lunch with a, a business mentor and, of course, had to squeeze in a visit to the Mighty Rich Roll. That's right. His, uh, his recording studio here, which is beautiful and kind of creepy at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of... A lot of a lot equipment. Of, a lot of equipment and and, uh, and I, I brought I you into, a, a stormtrooper costume or something like that. There's a few of those. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I'm gonna going to uh, see our friend Vinny on. I was going to ask uh, you about that. When are we getting together? Uh, Sunday, I think I'm gonna, gonna do his get podcast? together with Vinny and and Tawny from Endurance Planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm gonna see Mark Sisson. And then I've also got a, uh, a meetup tomorrow with some of my buddies who I am part of like a business group with. So we're going to have brunch and play some basketball and hang out for the afternoon doing some some masterminding, mm-hmm. which, which always sounds like an impressive word to throw around. And um, then headed down to Santa, um, Santa Barbara for about two days to do some work on a phone app down there that I'm working on. So. And then fly back home and hang out for a few days, and then I'm off to Thailand with the family for oh, cool. uh, for racing and triathlon clinics and all sorts of stuff. I feel like you, you know, you've really got the internet wired. You know, like I look at your site, which you when did you redo your site? Oh gosh, you know, I'd, I uh, I brought on a new guy named uh, Jake, who's a who's a real wizard and has a good eye for design and stuff, and. Um, we redid that about three months ago or so. Like I wanted it, I wanted, I felt like a lot of the articles I write on the site were kind of getting lost in the shuffle and I wanted mm-hmm. it to look more like a newspaper and mm-hmm. just have a bunch of the articles kind of appear right there on the front along with podcasts and stuff like that. So, so yeah, we re- redid that a few months ago and um, yeah, it's going well. So. It's cool. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, you get blasted with content when you go to that page and, and, um, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, you're further kind of down the line from, you know, where I'm at right now, but I, I, I use you as a case study, you know, mm. I study your site. It's like, <laughs> this is your personal site. This is your coaching site and you have the podcast there and you have blog content, but you also have products and you have services and you're publishing all these different books and making all these offerings. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to figure out how to configure all of that and make it user-friendly and where the end user can go to it and find what they're looking for. And, you know, you've really, uh, created, you know, quite a little uh, empire. Well, n- nothing that I do is planned out, really. 
Um, I don't believe I've, that. I've, no, seriously. I've, I, you know, I was a personal trainer and a coach for years, and I and I remember sitting up until like two a.m. at night trying to figure out how to how to program HTML and make my first website, which was this this coaching website called Pacific Elite Fitness. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to coach people online, and it was just like this uh, this you know ugly website that I was making in my apartments, you know, when I get home from the gym, personal training, I just, you know, we didn't have any kids or anything. And I'd go in there and try and figure out how to put articles online and, and how mm-hmm. to create a newsletter and, you know, how do you get people to, to sign up for a newsletter so you could send them stuff. And, it, you know, all this stuff was just built up, um, you know, from the ground. And then, you know, I started trying to figure out how to put books online and, um, you know, eventually. You doing, I mean, you were doing it long before. I mean, now it's sort of like every every knucklehead has their ebook or whatever. But, you know, you were doing it way before a lot of people oh, yeah. it became I, like popular. Like I remember it was it was five or six years ago that I sat down in front of my webcam and there was this new thing called called podcasting, and I wanted to do a, a video cast, and I actually figured out how to get it to show up on on iTunes, and uh-huh. I was so proud of myself, and did like two videos. I don't even know if you could still find them. They were like five minute long videos where I was talking about the latest research and strength and conditioning or something like that, and um, then I switched to audio because that was way easier, and I didn't have to comb my hair uh, or <laughs> put on a shirt, and. Uh, yeah, I've been having podcasting for a how long, long time. How long ago was that? That was a long time ago. Like I started experimenting with this stuff like five or six years ago and then really launched like hardcore into podcasting almost four years ago, uh-huh. like in terms of like putting out content on a weekly right. basis. So. Well, it was almost – I mean anybody who was doing it earlier than that was almost too ahead of their time. They're, the audience wasn't there yet. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and iTunes was finicky and, and the the RSS feeds that you had to put out, which I still don't really understand, um, were they, they would always break and it was just weird. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, it seems it seems a little easier now, which See, is why everybody and their their freaking dog has a podcast. I now. know. I think there's 250,000. <laughs> there's <like> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there are, there there are, are a lot. lot. So how many episodes of your podcast do you have now total? How many, how many? You know, you I I I do one a week. That's like the official Ben Greenfield Fitness podcast where we talk about research and and do Q and A and stuff. And there's 262 episodes yeah, wow. of that. But then there's about 300 additional, just like interviews. You know, talking mm-hmm. to people and and um, you know getting special guests on and stuff like that. Right. So. And then and you're also like the quick and dirty tips fitness guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did the that get fit like, guy? Those things in, like, in my in my red tight pants. What's the story my, with that? Because I go on iTunes t-shirt. and I see like that series of those on all different subject matters, and they're always like way at the top of the rankings in all the categories. Well, they're a podcasting network, so so everybody bounces off each other, and if someone subscribes to one, the other will show up in their their feed or that you might like this um the the uh, quick and dirty tips network which I, I don't know if it's owned by the grammar girl the mm-hmm. mignon yeah, I think Fogarty, she's the one who started but she's it. she's in charge of it or, or something um she's a wizard quick and dirty tips is is one there's another network called the uh, it's like five by five or something like that but if you go to itunes and you go to the right hand side there's like maybe 10, 15 different networks listed, and Quick and uh-huh. Dirty Tips is one of those networks that's like a syndicate of, right. I think there's maybe right, right, like right. 15 of them. And so they rank really high in iTunes. Be, I, I think it's just like one of those rising tide kind of things. So does that, did they approach you, or did you come up with that, or how did that work? I approached them. Um, 
like two or three years ago, I saw that they were putting out nutrition tips and grammar tips and um, business tips, and I didn't see anything in there for fitness. So I found a number and I called them up on the phone and we we chatted and I sent them some sample episodes and we kind of went back and forth for about three months and then um, launched the podcast. It happened pretty quick, Mm -hmm. actually, about as, as fast as it took to draw some kind of a get fit guy avatar which I don't think right. looks anything like me. But <laughs> it it's, doesn't look any, You sit anonymously behind that. Did they not even allow you to like, you can't even attach your name to it? Like, is that part of the point? Like it's sort of the, you know, you're just the quick and tips guy. I'm allowed to say my name. I do say my name. Um, I, I say. I admit I, I haven't th- listened like, to any of them. I just see them. Oh, they're the they're all scripted. Oh, like, yeah. I, oh, yeah you, you write out the whole episode. Uh-huh. You write the whole thing. They're just like five minutes long or something? Or They're how? five to 10 minutes long. So every Tuesday I sit down and I write out an episode. Usually I like, I uh-huh. I will either look at questions people have written in or I'll go to like fitness.alltop.com and see what's trending in fitness and then I'll, I'll write an article based right. off of what people seem to be interested in at the time and then send off the article and it gets edited and comes back and then I literally am reading each of those episodes oh, wow. trying to make it sound like I'm not really reading but you know you walk a fine yeah, line yeah, yeah. You know, so I, everybody knows I think that I'm reading the script but um, yeah and so they're five or to 10 minutes long and I send those off and, um, yeah. And how does that work? Do they pay, do they pay you to do that? Or do you get like, I'm, I'm just interested in the bit. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. It's it's kind of, it's kind of like writing for triathlon magazine. It's like, um, it's, it's, so they get sponsors and those sponsors pay, uh, the, the quick and dirty tips network from what I understand here. And, and I, I could totally be hacking this together and, and, um, misrepresenting what they're actually doing, but I'm pretty sure they've, they've got sponsors that come on board, like, you know, whatever, um, typical audible done in Brad street or mm -hmm. audible or whoever. And then, uh, the sponsors are paying them a, a certain fee per episode, uh, the sponsor gets a placement in the episode. They get a sidebar advertisement. You know, I mentioned their name, that kind of thing. And then um, I get paid essentially similar to like what a what a freelance magazine journalist would get paid. Uh-huh. So, you know, like when I write an right. article for, for Lava Magazine or something like that, you uh-huh. know, I'll get a, a few hundred dollars. And, um, you know, it's it, it's not something you could make a living off of with that model. Like, you know, I, I could never right, have that as a full-time you, job. You, but, but you can say this is, you know, you want to learn more. You go to, you're, you're allowed to advertise your own site. And all I'm, these things yeah, I'm allowed to say to my name website, and stuff right? like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or maybe talk about a book I've written or, uh-huh. you know. So essentially right now you've created this career out of like a whole variety of different pursuits that all rotate around, you know, this sort of singular idea of fitness and training and, and sort of biohacking and life hacking. So you have the magazine articles, you have quick and dirty tips, you have your podcast, you have your coaching business, you have your books and your eBooks. And, uh, so, and when I look at it, I'm like overwhelmed. I'm like, how do you even like, and you're super fit and you're going to Kona, like, how do you, and you have, and you have kids and homeschooling. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. Like, how do you, like, how do you find the time to sort of take care of yourself physically or, you know, make all of these pieces, like have the gears all like humming? Mm, You know, I, I have systems that I use, like, for example, one thing that's really worked well for me. Because I used to have like this never-ending checklist, right? It was just like this notebook and eventually Mm -hmm. it was a Word document where just like every time I had something come across my radar that I wanted to do, it went into the checklist. And now I use a program called Evernote 
Yeah, and I have I have Monday through Sunday in Evernote, and every single day has a specific task or range of tasks associated with it. Mm-hmm. So the only day I ever shoot videos is on Tuesday. So if anybody ever says, hey, we want you to shoot a video for this, or if I have an idea to, to do a video for you, my YouTube channel or whatever, mm-hmm. that gets shoved to Tuesday. So you, and, just, you and know Tuesdays are always your day for doing that. Out of my head. <clears throat> so it's, mm-hmm. it's about keeping a clear mind. Um, Wednesdays are podcasting days. Um, Saturdays and Sundays are days that I'll review like you, training piece on, files to, from clients. And, so, so for the podcast, do you bang out a bunch of interviews in one day and then have them? So, or do you just do one and load it, you know, that for that week or are you playing catch up or do you have it really backlogged? So usually the, the main Ben Greenfield fitness podcast is never backlogged just cause we're trying to talk about really relevant, like new content, but I will have interviews backlogged. So Thursdays are the days that I try to schedule folks to come on. Um, who are going to be featured on that next week's podcast. Mm-hmm. And But Wednesdays are the days that, like, I'm meeting with Brock, my podcast sidekick, who lives up in Toronto, and mm-hmm. we're actually recording the the official, like, big podcast. So, right. so, yeah, and those are done one at a time. So if we mess it up, we're kind of screwed, and folks just have to wait a week. Have to deal, or right. We're up till midnight. Right, you know? and for the podcast, I mean, do you have people that do the post-production end of it, or you do it all, all Brock yourself? Brock does most of it. I used to do it all myself until like a year and a half ago, and then Brock came on as, as a sidekick, and he's really like an audio wizard, so mm-hmm. I record on my end at home in Washington, and he's up in Toronto, and we're basically just like Skyping together, right. and, and um, then he does most of the publishing, which is really nice that I don't yeah. have to do that I think anymore. people people don't understand it. It's fairly time you know it'll take me a good four or five hours you know per yeah. episode and uh trying have, to get rid I of my help. kids like toilet yeah. flushing the toilet in the background and... it's not hard but it's just it's it labor like a, you know mm. you need this checklist and all these things you got to do to get it up right yeah so yeah. it takes some time for sure uh-huh. all right and then you have coaching on you do coaching clients on another day and then when yeah. you, and you, do you train in the mornings or you train twice a uh-huh. day or how does that work? I, I usually don't get out of bed till about seven. I'm not a, not a morning, morning guy, guy at yeah. all. So I train at about four to 6 PM or so in the afternoon. Um, I like that training time because I, everything I do is, is short and quick and fast and explosive. That's mm-hmm. just what I do is, is kind of this minimal volume type of thing and your body's core temperature, your reaction time, uh, and what's called your your peak protein synthesis all occur between about 4 and 6 p.m. So for me, as far as like muscle repair and recovery and being able to achieve high intensities, that works for me. Mm-hmm. And then I have dinner. So um, train in the afternoon or evening, uh, working slash homeschooling in the morning. And then we usually do lunch. Uh, we do a nap. I work a little bit more. And then, uh, yeah, go work out, have dinner. Usually work a little bit more after dinner. So it's kind of... Mm-hmm. Kind of piece together. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you get the question all the time, and and I get it, you know, which is, well, I, you know, I work, you know, I work full time, and you know, I got to get up early, and I have kids and a family too, and you know, I'd love to train for an Ironman or or even do a triathlon or a 10k, but I, you know, I just don't have the time. I can't find the time, and I have a certain answer for that, but I'm interested in in kind of the counsel that you would give to that question. Mm-hmm. So the. First thing is that if you have written down what you're going to do, and this is going to sound like dumb old school advice, but it, I mean it works. It's, there's a reason that, that this advice has been around for so long. If you actually have written down what you're going to do, that's that's huge. You mm-hmm. never roll out of bed without a plan because that creates decision fatigue. 
So for the same reason that, that I keep a clear mind at all times, meaning like I'm always shoving stuff out of my head onto Evernote, it's the same deal with my workouts. Like right. I know what I'm going to do when I roll out of bed, and if I don't, I'm probably not going to go do Yeah, I mean, anything. I know that when I'm working with my coach and I have my program and I know what my workouts are for the week, I do them, you know, yep. but when I'm not working with my coach or I'm not preparing for a certain race, then I just, you know, it's just, it's harder to follow through on that. Yep. And most times I do it, but it's a lot easier to not do it. Yeah. And, and the other thing that, that I do, uh, to get away with staying in shape, but training minimally is I've kind of hacked my lifestyle to stay as active as possible. So like if, if, um, I'm at home, I'm usually standing seven, eight hours a day. So standing mm -hmm. workstation, I've got a, you know, pull-up bar in the door of my office. And my rule is every time I walk under it, I need to do five pull-ups. I've got a, a barbell out in my garage. Uh, you know, I never, ever sit for longer than an hour without doing like yoga moves and jumping jacks. And so by the time I actually do work out, you know, in the afternoon, You've I've already, already been, stuff. yeah, I've, I've kind of, kind of had a lot of time on my feet. And I think that's really important too, is, is if you want to get fit with minimal time, you're, kind of sort of simulating fitness and exercise just while you're working throughout the day. That's why I think that it would be really cool if, if you know, corporate America would get on kind of at least like the standing desk type of bandwagon yeah. or the, you know, treadmill desks are expensive, but you can, you can hack together a standing desk pretty inexpensively. Well, in LA, just so you know, <laughs> like every time I go to some Hollywood executive's office for, you know, they, they all have standing desks now. Oh yeah. You know, I it's, mean, like, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's our treadmill um, desks. It's really, I mean, even for people who are exercising like one or two hours a day, if you're sitting for longer than two hours mm -hmm. during the day, your, your risk of dying is still elevated, no matter how hard you're working out mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So it's not about how much exercise you do. It's about how much time that you've spent sitting. We and should we should have gotten to treadmills and just done the podcast. <laughs> I know. I know. We, we should have. I, I, there are some people doing it. I don't know how they cover up the noise and, and everything, but there are Podcasting some podcasters while out running, there. Running on a treadmill? No, just like walking. Uh, and I have some clients Brett who use Blanker treadmill. does that a little bit on yeah. Zentri. He'll like bring his – I think he just maybe does it on his iPhone or whatever. Yeah. But like while he's riding his bike, he'll just yeah. record clips. And yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, building a house right now and oh, I've got wow. all the windows raised high enough. Like I've planned out the entire office to where it's built to never be sitting down. Like nice. the, the windows are high and, and – the workstation is built just wide enough for a, like a Trek desk treadmill and, uh -huh. and everything is just laid out to, to have me moving. So I like that. Yes. So and it's soundproof. So no, no toilets flushing. Exactly. <laughs> um, you use the word hack a lot. Like there's, I know it's like sort of super in vogue right now, like life hack, biohack, um, these terms. I don't know who sort of pioneered that. Maybe it was Tim Ferriss, but certainly popularized <laughs> by him. And I, and I, I was thinking about that the other day and I was like, they're not really – I mean, I understand that, that the idea of the hack comes from this concept of saving time. Um, but really, they're just good practices or experiments, really. But that doesn't you sound know? as sexy as I know. It's hack. like – but then it's like, yeah, it's not a hashtagable thing. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. So like, well, I have this new biohack, yeah, and then everyone can, wants to know. You can call it a system, like a, secret. a practice, a yeah. habit, whatever. Well, but yeah, yeah, I stand up. I don't sit down too much. That's all right. like a, That's my hack. Right. You know, but it's exactly. like, well, is that a hack? Or that's just something, you know, wise to do. Right, right. And the, and it, it it is, you know, it's a habit. It's a system. It's a practice, but the word hack is very, it's very marketable right now. Yeah. 
you know, it's it's very in vogue, like you say. And, All right, I'm gonna start and, using you know, it more. You should, you should for <laughs> sure. All right, you're my new life coach. <laughs> um, so I feel like there's this uh, kind of cabal of fitness experts and fitness podcasters right now. There's you. There's Dave Asprey. Uh, there's Vinny Tortorich. Um, there's Abel James, the fat burning man. And, uh, and it's sort of cool because there's a little bit of a community that seems to be, I mean, I'm like new at this. I mean, I've been doing it a year, but I'm still like pretty new and learning. Um, there seems to be kind of an interesting community that's developing where we're kind of all guesting on each other's shows and we all kind of know each other, which is funny to me because I used to just train with Vinny, you know, before either of us had podcasts yeah. and now, <laughs> and now it's all about like, well, what does Ben think about what Vinny said? And what does Vinny say about Ben and Rich? Did you hear what Rich said? And like, yeah, but Abel James says this and, but Dave Asprey has, you know, the, the, the biohack coffee or, you know, whatever. And it's, I think it's cool, you know, that like people are interested and they're talking about it and that, um, um, there is this like growing community, even though I feel like kind of the outsider stepchild because I'm, I'm, I'm like the plant-based guy. So my message is a little like left of center of what you guys are talking about. Oh, it's so good to have a niche um, though. But yeah, I mean, but my, my niche is not as marketable or as popular as like the paleo primal low carb, you know, like a lot of things that you guys are all talking about that seems to be kind of dominating the the debate i guess at the moment um for better or worse but <clears throat> but uh i kind of like relish the whole thing and i'm humored you know when i go on twitter and there's like you know there's this like sort of there's this there's a lot of energy behind um how do i put it like like getting us all in a room and we're going to box it out and see who yeah. comes out on top in terms of like who's right and who's wrong. Yep. And even with us today, it's sort of like, Ooh, well, what's rich going to say to, you know, <laughs> and, and like, I'm not really interested in that. I don't think you, I don't think you are either. I mean, we could sit here and debate all day long and then you're going to leave. Well, still the, convinced thing, of the what thing you're is that, it. that controversy, um, controversy is enchanting to people and people are drawn to it. Like, and, and they like to see opposing viewpoints. People like the idea of of debates. People like the mm -hmm. idea of of you know fights. And you know, I I'm personally really not interested in that kind of stuff either. What I what I find is um, that for me, like the past few years in podcasting, it has been really cool to see like all these new people come on the scene. Like uh -huh. you, you know, you mentioned other people like Abel and Dave uh -huh. and and. Um, there was a long time where there really wasn't, it seemed, much discussion. Like a lot of podcasters weren't having right. each other on their podcasts. And, you know, you'd have like the 5K Runner podcast and he'd put out the, the stuff on mm -hmm. 5K Running and, you know, Jillian Michaels, whatever the hell she was doing. I don't, I don't really I've never listened to no. her podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have once and it just lost me. I, I couldn't even follow it. Uh. I, I wasn't sure what was going on. Um, but it, yeah, it, I I like it. Like I like that that sense of community and that sense that you know uh, us calling each other out on Twitter and Facebook and it's kind of fun. Uh -huh. And for a long time, it wasn't really like that. Like you were just kind of the lone wolf podcaster. So um, you know, for better or worse, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it is too. It's cool. And uh, so we got to talk about um, you just had Duran Ryder. <laughs> on your show, right? So by the time this goes live, that will be, is it, is it not? Like I actually, I put it out on the app today. Uh -huh. So uh, if people have the app, they, they may have noticed that the locked button just disappeared on it because I put it out um, 
to the to the general public, and then it'll go live on the website tomorrow. Uh huh. So yeah. So how? So just for a little bit of background, um, I had him on my show. There was a lot of a lot of interest in in me having him on the show, um, and uh, as I said in the introduction to having him on, I, I had. Um, a little bit of reluctance because he's very controversial, but, but, you know, he puts out a very strong message. He's very passionate about what he believes in. And people were relentless in say, in telling me like, you gotta have him on, you gotta have him on. Mm -hmm. And, and I did. And, um, and, uh, it was, uh, the response was pretty divisive. I would say there were some people that were super psyched. Oh, it was greatest interview ever. And then other people who left, I mean, I never had more comments on my on my on my show, like on my blog page, really? that, that by like quadruple the number of comments wow. that I get for any other show. So it definitely created dialogue and a debate. But there were a lot of people who were like angry. You know, so one yeah. guy was even like, "I've been listen I've listened to every episode of your podcast. I read your book, and I'm I'm unsubscribing, and I'm like, I'm done with you." Really? And I was like, "Wow, I, you know, fifty seven, you know, like yeah. one hundred and fifty hours of free content, and you're gonna like ditch me off of one interview." And like, I I'm like, I'm a sensitive guy, so like, I don't I don't know how comfortable I am with like that kind of uh, dissonance, I suppose. And he took a dig at you, and I defended you because he was talking about like low carb ketosis and yeah. how you can't. No, be I, I heard it. You I just, was listening you while just I was out on the run. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and um, and uh, oh, I just lost my train of thought. But but essentially, like you know, there was a, there was a wide variety of of reactions to that, and uh, and so I and oh, and I think I even like emailed you. Um, and gave you a heads up, and uh, and and you were you were like, oh, I was I just listened to it. It was it was hilarious. I was laughing, like, and I was like, really? I would have been like upset, you know. Well, I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> there's there's a difference when you listen to something and you're out, you know, out in a run, and the wind's blowing through your hair, and the birds are singing, and you know, I'm sure if I would have listened to it, and I was stuck in traffic, maybe I would have not been so happy about getting called out about, you know, doing low carb ketosis, Iron Man kind of stuff. But, and you did it um, as an experiment. I mean, I think you went into it with yeah, an open I did this mind whole of like, I don't summer. know if this is going to work or not. And there were, there were some, there was some bad stuff that happened when I did that. Like I cut my carbs way too low. Like I messed up my thyroid and, uh -huh. you know, I wasn't getting adequate conversion of, um, T4, to T3 hormone. Um, so what's called my thyroid stimulating hormone skyrocketed and my, um, my active form of thyroid T3 went way low. Um, but just was, to, as a little bit of background for somebody who might not be familiar. So just set the, set the stage of what you were trying to do. Well, what I wanted to see was if you could, uh, compete in endurance sports at a relatively high level, not like a professional level, just because I, I really, um, you know, I'm, I'm an age grouper athlete and you know, I, I didn't want to turn pro as much as see if I could be like a fast age grouper athlete uh -huh. on like a higher fat, lower carbohydrate diet, specifically a diet of ketosis, meaning that I would measure my blood ketones and my breath ketones. And what I was looking for was a value above 1.0 millimolar, and which, that mean? which means that your mitochondria are burning fatty acids at a rate that churns out ketones or these byproducts of fatty acid metabolism at a high enough rate to where they're appearing in your blood at that mm -hmm. volume, at that level. Um, the reason that I wanted to try it out was because there, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about you know what's the best diet for endurance, you know, low carb, high fat, high fat, low carb, and all I wanted to see was whether or not you could actually get away with doing almost no bars, 
gels and goos, drinks, um, just like sugar in general. Right. And so I trained that way for 12 weeks before Ironman Canada and then did Ironman Canada. But just to to interrupt you, so during that period of time, you're eating not just like on the bike and on the run, but your meals were basically close to it was no like if, if i went out get. to an italian restaurant and they didn't have you know like a whatever you know steak and avocado on the menu i was drinking sparkling water and you know wait until we got home to, to right. make a you know whatever and you know an avocado chocolate smoothie or something like that right so, so breakfast would be like so a meat-based egg, eggs and meat or bacon no, and, or i'm not like i'm not an eggs and bacon kind of guy um i would do what i call a high fat smoothie for breakfast uh-huh. so it was a uh, kale or spinach, and then coconut milk and coconut oil, or what's called medium chain triglyceride oil, which is basically like coconut oil, but it's been centrifuged right, and, and some oil. of the MCTs have been like isolated. Like Dave Asprey, makes I do, yeah, I do, yeah. yeah, I get it from Dave's website, and then um, I would put Brazil nuts in there and some almonds and uh, half to a whole avocado, some cinnamon, a little bit of dark cocoa powder, a little bit of, of vanilla extract, just like the kitchen sink. Right. And that was breakfast. Um, and, you know, it's like, you know, it was a good 20 ounces worth of just smoothiness. And mm-hmm. then I'd put something in it to give it some texture, but that wasn't super high in carbohydrates, like dark cacao nibs or mm-hmm. coconut flakes or something like that. Right. So, yeah. But in the grand scheme of like a high fat, uh, low carb diet, that's, that's a pretty healthy it's oh on yeah, the super side super of, nutrient yeah. dense. And and before my actual races, I would do that that bulletproof coffee blend, and that actually worked really well for me for races. So I would mm-hmm. actually take uh, grass fed butter and that MCT oil, and then uh, coffee, and blend all that together. And that was all I would take in, like before Ironman Canada, before Ironman Hawaii. You know, just basically like a cup of coffee with right. some with some fats blended into it. Mm-hmm. Um, lunch. You know, and then lunch, uh, usually fish. I'm, I'm a fan of like sardines, anchovies, stuff like that. So I would just do like a spinach salad with you avocados. Like the fish. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> we go through right. a lot of sardines at the Greenfield house. Oh, so, God. um, right. and it's also a little bit more economical than like, we do have really good wild caught fish and stuff up there. But I mean, that, that adds up on the grocery bill doing wild caught fish, you know, mm-hmm. with, with lunch every meal. But um, yeah, we'd do, we'd do fish with olive oil and uh, avocados, olives, pumpkin seeds, stuff like that, usually over vegetables. We have a big garden in our backyard. We, we dug up our whole backyard and just turned it into an enormous garden. So just like a bunch of vegetables drenched in you know oils and fats and some fish and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, occasionally, we do like a boiled egg or something like that on there. And then um, usually before my afternoon workouts, I'd hammer through another half can or so of coconut milk. We just do like an organic um, BPA-free uh, coconut milk. And then dinner is usually uh, – dinner was was usually where I'd put in more of the carbohydrates, especially after I saw what was happening to my thyroid because uh-huh. I did extensive blood work the whole time to kind of track anything that was responding deleteriously. And so um, dinner would typically be anywhere from 50 to 75 grams of carbohydrates from like white rice or quinoa or sweet mm-hmm. potato or something like that. And then um, we we usually do some kind of like an organic meat or fish or something along those lines with dinner um, with like a roasted vegetable or, um, you know, or something from the garden uh, that's steamed or roasted or, or baked. Mm-hmm. And yeah. All right. It. And so, so 12 weeks, mm-hmm. this was the idea you're going to train on this. And so what, you know, so you're, and you're, you're watching your blood markers the whole time. Yeah. And so, so explain what, what happens and what's going on. 
So um, most of the blood markers didn't change because I was tracking prior to that point. And I showed all the things that I tend to see. I, I do work for a company called Wellness FX uh-huh. out of San Francisco. And they send me a lot of their CrossFitters and their triathletes eating a variety of different diets from, from low-fat, high-carb to high-carb, low-fat to vegan to paleo to everything. Consistently, you tend to see hypercortisolism. Um, you, you see a, a lot of cortisol in people who are training a lot. You see – What is that in, in- – indicator of um, stress just mm. i mean you know we're, we're running from a lion more than the average person is so mm. uh and you know sometimes doing it for for hours in a row um you tend to see like lower levels of testosterone in guys lower levels of progesterone in girls lower levels of dhea in both sexes vitamin d typically lower than what you'd expect it to, to be for people who are spending a lot of time in the sun mm-hmm. because you get what's what's called the pregnenolone steal going on which is when vitamin d from the sun or from food gets shuttled into cortisol mm-hmm. formation rather than getting shuttled into say like uh, testosterone. Oh, that's or, interesting. Or, so if you're overtraining or you're overstressed, even though you're out in the sun, you're not right. getting the benefit of that vitamin D. Exactly. So, and you hear that from a lot of people. They're like, well, I'm out in the sun and my vitamin D is fine. And, you know, you point out that it's, you know, I like to see vitamin D levels between 40 and 70 mm-hmm. in terms of what's called your hydroxy vitamin D um, in, in your blood. And you see people with like 20 and 30, which is not, you know, it's not super duper low, but it's lower than what you'd expect to see in someone who's eating like a healthy diet. And so uh, you tend to see low vitamin D. Um, and, and so I've seen a lot of that stuff in my same blood work, and I know what's going on. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm beating up my body. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm training for Ironman. And, and so I expect to see cortisol higher than what it would normally be. I expect to see testosterone, you know, not as high as I would really like for it to be if I weren't doing as much training. But, you know, from a, from a, a response to the diet standpoint, the thyroid thing definitely changed quite a bit. Um, and I kept a really close eye on cholesterol too, specifically oxidized cholesterol, what's called your very low-density lipoprotein, uh, your ApoB, and another parameter called LP little a. And all of those are, are really good biomarkers to track if you want to look at your risk of cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. So I kept an eye on those um, because I wanted to ensure that I that by eating all these fats, I wasn't just creating like a, like a metabolic firestorm in my arteries. And... Um, kept an eye on like blood glucose, kept an eye on insulin. And really the, the biggest thing that concerned me the most was the thyroid issue. And mm-hmm. I could tell too, like I was colder in the morning and, and my body temperature regulation wasn't so hot. And I started to get a little bit low on energy, a little bit sluggish in the afternoon. So I fixed that um, by kind of adjusting carbohydrates. And I figured out that you could on some days get as high as 200 grams of carbohydrates on this ketosis diet and still be in a state of elevated ketones. Mm-hmm. And so how were you feeling when you were out in your training sessions? I mean, did you feel different? Did you feel better? Did you feel worse? First few weeks were tough. Like like you, if your body's used to burning sugar as a primary source of fuel um, and you're, you're trying to shove it into fatty acid oxidation, it's tough. I tell people if they decide they wanted to do, to do a diet like this, like save it for the off season. And, you know, I, I started into it like hardcore as I was starting into Ironman training, which mm-hmm. wasn't a a grand idea in retrospect. Right. Um, the The main thing though that I noticed, especially racing and in longer workouts, was uh, I had to take about a quarter less fuel, like far fewer calories on board because I was just burning through my own adipose tissue. And then during the actual race, just felt stronger and stronger and stronger as the race went on. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think there was a lot less going on in terms of like energy fluctuations and blood sugar fluctuations. And I was able to kind of 
tap into my body's own storage fat as a fuel. Right. How much do you think the balance of uh, the, there's a distinction between training your body to burn fat as fuel by virtue of the training itself, like the aerobic zone training, for example, versus training your body to burn fat by virtue of the foods that you're eating. Like those are mm-hmm. two different things. My understanding has always been that it's really more about the kind of training that you're doing than the diet that you're eating. You know, when it comes to what's called mitochondrial biogenesis, which is how 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 dense you can get your mitochondria, which are little powerhouses yes. in, in your uh, in your muscles, for example, um, exercise is going to have a bigger effect on mitochondrial density, just because you're you're sucking in oxygen, you're having to train your body how to how to use that to generate ATP. Um, diet does have an effect, though. For example, if you're snacking eight to ten times a day, and then you go into an exercise physiology lab and you test your resting metabolic rate, mm-hmm. which is where you put on a mask and it measures the amount of carbon dioxide produced and the amount of oxygen consumed, what you find is that your resting energy expenditure or your, uh, um, your what's called your RER, it will rise. That indicates greater levels of carbohydrate oxidation at rest. Mm-hmm. And when you are snacking fewer times or eating higher amounts of fat, fat oxidation goes up and that RER goes down. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely um, – <laughs> you can hack it can through, hack it. through yeah. diet. Um, you know, I, I think that exercise is always going to be – it's going to play a bigger role than diet. But – you know, if you look at like a sedentary person, I recently had a guy on my show who's like a kind of a relatively sedentary professor. He's working out like every two or three days or something like that, and he keeps his body in a state of ketosis or or fatty acid uh, oxidation just by um, eating a high fat diet. And he also is uh, he also like literally like drinks ketones to to keep his body in that state too for the mental edge. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. This idea of ketosis, though, I just I struggle with it. I mean, you know, I've had a couple uh, cardiologists on the show um, who kind of have a you know they have a traditional perspective on on uh, you know saturated fat intake and and the onset of of you know arthrosclerosis. I always struggle with that word. Um, 
And my understanding is that ketosis is really kind of this emergency state, you know, this Mm. emergency, but like, what are the long-term implications of being like, is ketosis like, you know, there's this idea that, and I think Vinny is kind of behind this, which is that, you know, ketosis as a lifestyle, which Mm. I I, I don't really, I I have a hard time, you know, getting behind that or understanding that. I can understand because I think there's a distinction between uh, diet for performance goals and your lifestyle and your long-term health. Right. First of all, ketoacidosis, you know, I mentioned that when I was doing this, I was keeping my blood levels of ketones above 1.0 millimolar. And many people who are looking, for example, for, you know, their their brains to use ketones as a primary source of fuel are are going to only need to keep ketones above 0.5 millimolar. When you get your ketones above anywhere from 7 to 10, which would be like where you'd be, let's say you were to go on a fasted bike ride for like six hours and come back and eat nothing and go to bed and wake up the next morning, mm-hmm. you're going to be really shifting into like this extremely catabolic state of ketoacidosis. And that can be metabolically damaging. That's that's literally a shift in the pH of your body. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy and it is a state of emergency. Ketosis is different than that. Um, ketosis would be anywhere from one up to, depending on who you ask, seven to ten millimolar of ketones. And that's an okay state for your body to be in. I mean, if you look at like, you know, babies drinking breast milk, for example, they're often in that state of ketosis, you know, 0.5, 1.0, 2.0. So it, it is a state that humans are able to be in and able to thrive in. Um, for me personally, I find it really difficult, and, and I didn't really talk about this too much, but I find it difficult from a social standpoint, primarily. Mm-hmm. How's um, the breath? The the breath, if you're actually burning fatty acids as a fuel, is not going to have that that acetone like uh, like nail polish smell. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are say like using a, a ketone supplement, like drinking what's called beta hydroxybutyrate salts, which you can buy now as a ketone supplement, and you're jacking your levels of ketones up that way. Um, you can you can actually get that type of nail polish breath, uh-huh. but I've never ever had the breath issues at all, and I think it's because I'm actually burning a lot of those fats as a fuel. Right. And so I think in a sedentary person eating a high fat low carb diet, from what I understand, that's a bigger issue. Right. Like that. So um, <clears throat> I have a friend who's a professional cyclist, and and he played around with this uh, over this the course of this past season, um, and he he said that it was very it was very difficult like the cravings were very high and just to be able mm. to be strict about the diet and one of the interesting things that he said is that he said he felt really good aerobically but with respect to doing hard efforts uh, when you really have to get into that anaerobic state that's glycogen dependent that 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 was a, that was a struggle and he he felt like he couldn't hit his peak you know like his his the sort of performance levels that, that he was used to without taking in some sugars. Yeah. There were, there were three things that I did to, to kind of help out with that. One was actually using interval training and what are called isometrics. So you're getting into positions where you're building up a lot of lactic acid in the muscle mm-hmm. and training yourself to buffer lactic acid more efficiently, to literally shovel lactic acid up into the liver where it gets reconverted into glucose and can be used in the absence of oxygen, like in those really, really hard, what are called glycolytic efforts. Mm-hmm. But how long so, are you going to be able to see? I mean, if you're doing tempo work or like long sustained 
uh, intervals or, you if, know, like long hill climb, you know, things like that. That's different than 30-second blast or something. And that's where it gets tough if you're in a state of, like, muscle glycogen depletion and liver glycogen depletion, meaning if you've literally run the tank dry and you try in the absence of, like, exogenous carbohydrate intake, like slamming a gel or taking a Coke or whatever, you try to go hard at that point, that's when it becomes near impossible to really sustain that that hard, heavy interval. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, that didn't happen until about hour eight of Ironman Canada. Mm-hmm. And, and so I actually, you, I got, I, I dug myself into that hole. What were you, what, how were you fueling throughout the race? So during the entire race, what I used was MCT oil, about a tablespoon per hour. I used super starch, which is a really slow release mm-hmm. glucose, which I take in about a quarter of what I would normally use in terms of carbohydrate when I'm using that. Right. But so that is a carbo- That's a carb source of fuel though. Yeah. At a hundred calories per hour. So uh-huh. very, very slow release. Um, with the idea that that is supposed to keep your, your glycogen or your glucose levels just enough topped off to where you can burn those matches when you need to burn them. Right. While still I mean, by comparison, to, most people are taking in two to 300 right. uh, calories of yeah. carb per hour. Yeah. I used to do 450 an hour. Mm-hmm. And, and don't get me wrong, like my performance was great on that. And for me, this was a little bit more of, of a health decision combined with a – um, basically like a promotional stunt, you know, just to see. What do you mean a health decision? Meaning that when you're eating sugars, and especially when you're taking in sugars during multiple training sessions throughout the week, goose, Coke, sport drink, whatever. But you don't have to do that. You could take in carbohydrates that are not those things. Yeah, but most people, I know most are, people are not do. doing that. But, yeah. you know, like like I know you're doing a lot of, of like, uh, or from from what I understand, you know, you do like chia seeds and you've got a... Well, bananas and dates yeah. and, you know, almond butter and yeah, things like more, that. that more nutrient-dense sugars or yeah, like just try to seeds. Ver- you, know, they're, yep. they're, they're, you know, I'm not drinking Coke and doing gels. And not that I haven't done that in a race context. I just, I try to, you know, not do that, you know, as a daily practice in yep. training. Yeah, exactly. And... The, the reason that I wanted to, to um, snub Gatorade, so to speak, in doing that was because I don't think that a lot of these these fuels are healthy, you know, these, these Franken-fuels. They're and, not. And, you know, um, I have no problem with you snubbing Gatorade. Yeah, and, you know, and I think away. a lot of people think that they are or they think that you can't achieve high levels of performance unless you're using, uh-huh. you know, the gels and the, and the sports drinks and things like that. Um, so I also used amino acids quite a bit, um, basically uh, amino acid capsules during the race. And that, that is another way that you can actually um, – the gluconeogenesis is one way that you can provide your body with glucose from amino acids without generating a lot of the reactive oxygen species or what are called advanced glycation end products that you get from consuming simple sugars. And so I was mentioning there were like three different ways that I was kind of overcoming this issue with being able to achieve high intensities while in ketosis. And Mm -hmm. amino acids was another strategy in addition to doing like isometrics and interval training. Um, And then the last thing that I used was a a supplement. Uh, It's called oxaloacetate or a salt of oxaloacetate. And that upregulates that Cori cycle, that conversion of lactic acid into glucose on the mm-hmm. level of the liver. So Same. you're you're trying to get your body to be able to have that glucose to burn for energy without you consuming it from sugary external sources. Right. So the amino acids are not a fuel source. They just create a, a metabolic chain reaction that allows your body to do what? Well, they're, they're actually getting converted into glucose. 
and high levels of amino acids in the bloodstream can also increase your rating of or decrease your rating of perceived exertion. What that means is that you send your body a message that blood levels of amino acids are high, so it doesn't have to cannibalize muscle, or uh-huh. it's, it's not in that state where it needs to downregulate your intensity because amino acid levels have dropped so low. So it's a it's a it's like a, an anti bonking strategy, basically. Sounds like a lot of work, man. It is. I mean, I mean but this, you, this is the this stuff is I love. Thing? You know, this, this is your is, thing. This is what I geek out on. <laughs> like, you're, it sounds like you're just making it so complicated. Like, who could follow this? This pro. I mean, I guess, I guess the biohackers. Yeah. Out there. Once, once you write it all down and, and you figure it out. I mean, but yeah, there's like six different things going into my my blender when I'm blending up my water bottles and stuff on race morning. And and for me, yeah, it's like, like your, I like your this kitchen stuff. has to be yeah. like a chemistry set. Yeah, but yours well, probably is anyway all the well, time, right? For, for me, I'm I'm to the point where you know all those those fuels that I, like you know MCT oil and 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 super starch and all this stuff blended together in one bottle. Like I'm not taking that stuff out on workouts because mm-hmm. frankly, my workouts are so so they're too short. Sh- they're short just anyway. Like, so you yeah. know you don't you never have that experience of sort of acclimating to the training context and how your digestive tract is going to respond to these sorts of fuels over long periods of time and the heat and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I mean, you have have so many Ironmans under your belt, like you already have some familiarity with that. I tried to get out about three to four times Mm -hmm. before Ironman to to practice, you know, either in my running flask or in my bottle, what I plan on using on race day. All right. So So. what's, what's the upshot here? Like what, where, so you're, 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 this, you're, you're concerned about your thyroid. How many weeks in were you when that started to crop up? That was like six weeks Uh and it it stayed with me. You were um, like, I'm going to see this through. Like I'm Morgan Spurlock and supersize me. I'm going to go to. I'm going to do this. You anyway, make adjustments or? and retest. So I started eating more carbs with dinner. You did, and uh-huh. found that I could still keep myself in a state of ketosis because that for me was after I'd finished my workout. If I if I was more of a morning workout guy, I probably would have added in like a banana or some extra carbs with like the morning smoothie. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, and so so you go and you race Ironman on this diet, and you had a good result, right? What you and you qualified for Kona. Yeah, yeah, so, I did a um, nine thirty nine up uh-huh. in Canada. And how is the like? How did you feel racing compared to what you're used to feeling? I felt awesome the whole day until I got like to that eight hour mark, and uh-huh. then I I tried to go hard, and I don't think I took in enough fuel up to that point, or I got my body to the point where you you know there's a possibility that you kind of reach that point where what you're doing is so unnatural anyways that you mm-hmm. you simply do what you can. So at that point, I started drinking uh, Coke just to get my blood sugar levels as high as I could get them mm-hmm. and then just ran as hard as I could to the finish line. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a really, really good feeling um, in terms of just like my stomach and there wasn't a lot of carbohydrate fermentation going on in the guts and my energy levels were, were great up until that point. So, um so yeah, I mean, it, so then overall, did you, did you, uh, did you, so were you, did you continue to pursue that through your training through for Kona? I wasn't going to, because I didn't like, it's a really rigorous, you know, and I mentioned this before, it, like socially it's hard, right? When, when you're like, oh, I'm staying in a state of ketosis, so I can't, you know, eat that gluten-free pizza with you or, you know, hey, I got to. you're talking to the vegan. You're talking to me about <laughs> Yeah, like, that's true. You know, <laughs> or I got to hold back after a couple glasses of yeah. wine or whatever. So, you know, for a few days after Canada, I, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm just going to kind of, you know, eat you know, use the eat real food diet Mm -hmm. going into Kona. And then I decided that I'd keep on experimenting up until Kona and kind of went back into the ketogenesis thing. And, um, my plan was to during Kona up 
my levels of amino acid intake, almost quadruple my levels of amino acid intake during that race. Um, and then do a little bit more super starch on the bike specifically so that I wasn't going into the run quite as depleted and, um, mixed all the stuff together in a bottle. And this was just a total tactical error on my part, but I got up to Javi and that, that second bottle that I grabbed at Javi was just like 90 degrees and the yeah, proteins I can't imagine were drinking that stuff hot like, like that. the oil. That's gross, man. I should have brought a cooler or, you know, like put it on ice or something, but, uh-huh. um, yeah, so my plan kind of fell to pieces at that point, and I I raced a, a nine fifty nine in Kona, so it wasn't wasn't the fastest day there, but um, yeah, it was it was fun, and you know it was kind of kind of an interesting experiment over the summer, and I will definitely uh, be eating uh, fruit cake and cookies and stuff like that over the holidays, uh-huh. and, and uh, letting myself be a little bit more socially <laughs> rambunctious with the diet. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that begs the question of sort of the idea of it being an experiment or a temporary thing versus like, okay, this is my lifestyle now. Like, is this something that you could sustain or would want to sustain or would be advisable to sustain, you know, for your life or for the average, you know, 10 K runner who, you know, is I, not like, you know, biohacking themselves 24 hours a day. Yeah. I used to be a bodybuilder. And so I was very used to, to low carbohydrate intake, for example, to, to get my body fat low. Um, for me though, when I would do stuff like that and, and was, I was even relatively low carb going to this ketogenic diet, I would do what's called cyclic meaning that I would eat like a lower carbohydrate intake on the days where I had slightly lower levels of physical activity. And then on the days where I was throwing down a big bike ride or a big run or a big swim, I would actually take in more carbohydrate. And, you know, that would be my cheat day or that would be the day I'd have ice cream or, you know, whatever. And for me, that was a little bit more socially doable. I still was able to get my body into that state of metabolic efficiency or fat oxidation during most of the days, but then still have a couple days of the week where – you know, I, I wasn't quite so um, strict with the diet, and I think that's more doable if you're mm-hmm. going to do something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, would Will you get all the metabolic efficiency benefits or, you know, the buildup in mitochondrial density and all that jazz, you know, and be the, the ultimate fat-burning machine? Probably not, but you also have to have to live a little. Um, and for me, that includes, you know, going out to the Italian restaurant and right. you know, I mean, things of that nature. And also, I think just for people that are listening, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of, um, you know, plant-based people that listen to this show, but there's a lot of, you know, there's all different kinds of people. There's paleo people and all that. Um, <clears throat> but not, there aren't very many people that would be coming into an equation like that with the amount of knowledge and background that, that you have. So it's, I almost feel like it's a, you know, don't try this at home kind of thing. Like, you know, you have, you, you know, you're able to, you know, look at your results from wellness FX and understand what all those blood markers mean and see when you're going into the red in one category or another. Most people aren't going to know that. Right. And, and, and so there's, to me, I feel like it's a little, there's a little bit of a cautionary tale that, you know, that you got to have to append onto this, like, you know, yep. what do you need to understand and what, what do you not need? You know, you know what I mean? Like, it just sounds dangerous to me. Yeah. And, and I mean, to, to a large extent, I wonder also, you know, I, I grew up on on pizza and hamburgers and French fries and you know my version of vegetables was iceberg lettuce drenched in ranch dressing and my kids have grown up on a completely different diet you know comprised of initially you know breast milk and then you know wild caught fish and avocados and olives and like 
they eat incredibly healthy. And I just wonder if, if they were to use a diet like that for performance like I used, if they wouldn't experience um, quite as much of a bounce back from their body or, or quite as much of a, of a barrier to hurdle when it comes to, to shifting your body into, into fat utilization. So, you know, sometimes I wonder whether or not, you know, dietary history makes a difference as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think it, it, it also goes back to the sort of what I was referencing before this idea of diet for performance reasons and diet for sort of ultimate long-term health and lifestyle, uh, you know, I can I can understand and appreciate you know the experiment that you went through, and I think it's great that you you go into something with an open mind and say I don't know what's going to happen. Let's see what happens here, and then I'll document it. You know, and be completely transparent about it. Um, but I still, you know, I still wonder and question about like ketosis as a as a lifestyle. Like, can you feel the keto? Like, it's it, it's clearly effective at weight loss. But I just wonder, you know, what does that look like if you do that for 5, 10, 15 years of, of eating that way? I think that if you're keeping your ketones elevated uh, via, via a healthy method, you know, avoiding trans fats, avoiding fake fats, avoiding, you know, mixing fats with high amounts of starchy or sugary carbohydrates that can tend to oxidize the fats or, or adhere to cholesterol surfaces, mm -hmm. that type of thing. Um, I think that, that if you're mixing that type of stuff up with, you know, it's kind of like that, that Atkins approach, for example, you know, eat a bunch of fat or eat a bunch of proteins, but don't pay attention to the sources and, you know, allow junk into the diet. I think that that's where you start playing with fire. You know, for me, um, it's, it's pretty hard to feel guilty about, you know, eating avocados and olives and sardines and stuff like that. And, um, my, my lipid panel in particular was pristine. I mean, my, my inflammation was rock bottom. My triglycerides were rock bottom. My HDL was extremely high. My, uh, my very low density lipoprotein was rock bottom. My apple B dropped, my LP little a dropped. I mean, like everything looked really, really good from a cardiovascular standpoint. Interesting. Interesting. So I think, uh, and this is just anecdotal, but it, you know, my sort of perspective is that people that, play around with this again these people you know people aren't going to have the kind of background and wherewithal and time to kind of study their results like you do but uh they don't seem to like they'll be they'll do it consistently for a period of time but then they lapse you know mm. and then they go crazy in the other direction like they're they've been sugar starved or something like yeah. that and then they go crazy and and i'm like well there's something about this that isn't working because people have a hard time sticking with it mm -hmm. and then they go off it and then they balloon up and they go crazy in the other direction. Yep. And that's the tricky part too. I mean, you even take something as simple as gluten. If you have like a transglutaminase reaction to gluten, that can stick with you for like 12 days, 15 mm -hmm. days, a few weeks. And so, you know, that's why I tell people being, you know, partially gluten-free is like being 90% pregnant. I mean, when it comes to like in, from an inflammatory standpoint, you either- If you get a little gluten, yeah, then you're, yeah, you're it, done. Yeah, exactly. So. I need to work on that. I mean, I eat, you know, I essentially, I, I'm that guy. I'm the guy who's like 90% gluten-free. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty good. At, I certainly feel better when I'm completely gluten-free, but every once in a while I have, you know, this or that that has gluten yeah. in it. And I convince myself that that's fine. And, you know, again, when we're talking about like the ultimate combination of everything and we talk about health and performance and longevity, you can't leave out happiness too. And there are some cases where, you know, slamming a, slamming a pizza late at night after you've been through half a <laughs> bottle of wine, um, yeah, maybe it's going to mess up your gut for, for a couple of weeks. But if that's what makes you happy, I mean, and, and you need that every once in a while, then, 
you know, I, I don't have a huge issue with that. You know, yeah. I'm not a half gonna, a bottle of wine in me would yeah. be a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would cause a longer oh, yeah. term yeah. problem. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, the thing is, is is that uh, you know, I've been doing this for seven years now, and I just don't crave those foods anymore. So I don't, mm. I don't approach it like a deprivation, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's, I don't really think about it at all. You know, I mean, occasionally I'll smell something and go, oh, that would be good to eat, but I'm going to choose not to, but I don't have that kind of obsessive kind of craving. And I think that, I think maybe we talked about this last time. I definitely talked about it on the podcast, but that's kind of the issue that I have with these diets that allow the cheat day because you sort of remain enslaved to this, like, unless you put enough distance between yourself and whatever it is you're craving, you're going to continue to have that persistent craving, right? And it's just been so long for me since I've eaten so many of those foods that I just don't, they don't carry any charge for me anymore. Yeah. And a big part of it too is, is what you mean when you say cheat day. For example, there's a very popular diet out there called carb backloading, which is where you eat a lot of carbs at night and you know, you, you work out in the evening, you eat a lot of carbs at night, but they're ad libitum and they can pretty much be from any source, you know, whatever Twinkies or ice cream or bread or rice or whatever. And you could also have a, a similar cheat day or a similar carb backloading protocol where you're eating sweet potatoes and yams, you know. Mm. So so part of it comes down to whether we're talking about cheating from like a macronutrient standpoint or like a food quality standpoint right. as well. Well, I mean, the slow carb diet's kind of like that too. I mean, the idea that you would, you know, sort of train your body physically and like eat really well. And then one day a week, just like put a bunch of garbage in it or whether it's at night or whatever it is, the Twinkies. I mean, why would you, why would you, how is that any part of like a healthy protocol for anybody? Right. Right. And, and I mean, uh, it makes it popular and it makes it palatable because people love to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when, when you hear me throw around a word like cyclic, I'm not talking about cycling in and out of, you know, from, from junk to health food. I'm talking about cycling your macronutrient ratios of carbs, proteins, and fats, and not necessarily, um, not necessarily allowing yourself to have like a junk day. That's complete crap. Mm-hmm. Durian Rider. I want to hear about Durian, <laughs> hear about Durian Rider. <laughs> How did it go? Uh, we actually had a pretty civil discussion for, for the most part. I would say it was about two-thirds civil. I think that we we actually started to wrap up our podcast at about the 60-minute mark. Uh-huh. And I was kind of getting to the point, you know, where you start to wrap things up, where you're yeah. like, so for more information, right, go yeah, to. Yeah. And um, then he started he started talking a lot about you know, uh, cholesterol and heart disease and, um, you know, and, and bonking and, you know, a lot of, just a lot of things that I think that he wanted to, um, to bring up that we hadn't gotten a chance to talk about up to that point. And so we spent about the next half hour really kind of digging into a lot of the controversy that would exist between his dietary approach. Um, you know, very like, like raw vegan, low carb, um, but also high carb um, or, or high carb, but also combined with some really interesting YouTube videos. Uh-huh. Um, and then my approach, which is, which is obviously in stark contrast to that. And we, we argued a little bit more for like the last half hour of the show but ultimately, you know, at the end, he was like, yeah, we should do this again. And he actually wanted to, <laughs> to come on again and talk Our again. Good. And I don't – I'm trying to remember. I don't think I saw any inflammatory or concerning YouTube videos come out 
about me after that. I think that uh, Vinny, you do Vinny had me on his show shortly after I interviewed Harley, the Durian Rider, and Vinny and I talked a little bit, and uh, Durian Rider did do a video afterwards about that. Oh, he did? Uh, well, he he there, calls there like Vinny, Vinny Tortellini or something like that. Vinny Tortellini yeah. calls me... Uh, uh, what like Gren Beanfield or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He was playing some because I had I had gone out and and uh, I, I had been hunting that day and had shot deer and he was playing clips from me talking about that and uh, yeah, but it, it really wasn't wasn't that bad. He he uh, talked talked a lot of uh, trash about Vinny though. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, Vinny loves it too though. Uh, oh yeah, Vinny. Yeah, I mean, Vinny and Vinny and and Harley are cut from the same cloth. <laughs> like they they love the they like to mix it up. Yeah. So. Those guys got to get in the same room together. That would be fun. I'd no, pay to see I, that. that would be good, I think, you know? <laughs> see if we can make that happen. But um, I saw on your blog that you had, uh, because one of the things that Harley said was that he wanted to challenge Peter Atia to like a cycling challenge or something like that. And mm-hmm. then Peter hadn't gotten back to a $50,000 challenge to right. climb Mount Washington to see who could win with the caveat that Peter had to be in a state of ketosis while racing. I see. And then, and he said, Peter, you can get back to him, but then you emailed Peter and then I saw the response about like raising a million dollars for charity or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Peter wanted so it to be happen. raising a million dollars for charity, but also Peter threw in deadlifting, bench pressing, swimming, right. <laughs> running, yeah. like tire flipping or, or something like yeah, that. It just, scale oh, and, and a mathematics oh. test, oh. mathematics and English test. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> so it turned into a whole different um, can of worms and I don't think it's going to happen if it's, happen. if it's going to be that complex so yeah it's interesting i mean you know i think from an end user point of view it's easy to look at it and be confused it's like well ben is you know he's going and doing this diet and then you have people like harley and michael arnstein who are essentially fruitarian and they're excelling in what they're trying to do that way and passionate about that lifestyle and you know i do what i do and it feels right to me and i feel great and all of this so Somebody who's listening, it's, they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, how do I find my mm-hmm. way with this? And, and my response to that is you've got you've, you've to take the mantle of responsibility upon yourself and experiment, do your own homework. And nobody's going to make, you know, nobody can make that decision for you. You've got to try, try on a couple different shirts and yeah and you can you can trace feels good i mean you know you you are gonna have to bring some money to the table but for 99 dollars, you can go to 23andme.com you can see if you come Mm -hmm. from you know whatever an african versus an asian versus a northern european versus like a you know a a native american or or whatever you can you can trace your genetic ancestry Have, have you ever done 23andme no, it's funny. I was with my parents a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about it. And uh, my dad was tempted to uh, to, to do That's it because really he wanted cool. to know. And part of me thinks, well, do I want to know? Like, I don't know if I w- there are certain things that maybe I don't want to know. You know I, what I mean? Oh yeah, there is some stuff. Like you know, I for example, I have higher than normal risk for type two diabetes and for um, prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those are things that are concerning, you know, when you see those jumping out and they've got the little red percentage thing next to them on on your results dashboard. But they also make me think about ways that I could live my life to reduce the potential of those becoming yeah. an issue. Yeah, that's, va- that's valuable. And I could also look at where my ancestors came from, you know, Northern Europe and what kind of diet have they eaten for thousands of years that mm-hmm. my body might be more genetically adapted to. Uh, and then, of course, you can combine that with more acute measurements of, of biomarkers. You don't have to use 
uh, wellness FX is is not inexpensive because you're paying for a consultation and you're paying for their for their little dashboard that tracks all your results and everything like that. You can go out and use a wholesale laboratory testing company like mm-hmm. Direct Labs, for example, and you can order a lab yourself and get it printed out. Take it into your local LabCorp or Quest Labs or whatever. They run the blood test. You've got a PDF emailed to you within mm-hmm. a couple of days, and you know you're you're going to be scratching your head if you don't know how to interpret it or you don't have a you know somebody there to, to help you through it but at least we have that available and and you can um you know there are even tests i think it's called like labtests.com or something like that that even help walk you through the interpretation if you did want right. to kind of walk go down that route of kind, kind of trying to to figure out the values yourself so there are ways that you can look at what's going on inside your body to give you clues about what diet is going to work best for you and also ways that you can look at worked well what worked well for your your parents or your grandparents or your great grandparents or you know, people who right. live in hundreds of years before you. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that, that's that's great advice. Um, I think, and that's very much like the scientific sort of logic based response to that. And uh, my kind of like you know foofy uh, new age <laughs> take on that is uh, is uh, I guess my fear or my reluctance or one of the if there was a reason why I wouldn't do it, it's because you you are sort of inviting into your into your world into your mind. The idea that you might get, you know, this or that. And then mm. once that little seed kind of, you know, plants in your brain and you're thinking about it all the time, like, oh, I might get, you know, I might get prostate cancer. I might get prostate cancer. I believe, you know, for better or worse that, you know, you create your own reality, you know, and thoughts have power, a lot of power. And mm. the more thought that you put into that, the more likely you are to sort of cre- create that scenario in your life. And that goes for professional, you know, whatever you're pursuing professionally or family or whatever it is, you know what I mean? And so if I was to get a piece of information that says you have a 75% chance of getting this, or you're definitely, you know, a super candidate for this, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know what else I could be doing sort of to take care of myself other than I already do. I mean, I could biohack probably a little bit better with the advice of somebody like yourself. Um, but I, I don't want to. I don't know that I want to have that kind of fatalistic, you know, notion floating around in my head. Well, I mean, you know, for me, for like, like, uh, you know, prostate cancer, for example, we grew a crapload of tomatoes in our garden this mm-hmm. this summer and spring, and and I ate a lot of them. Like, I've probably had two raw tomatoes a day for mm-hmm. the past year. Right. You know, and that, that's just the simple example of, of something that you can do. And there are other interesting things too when you like, you know, like I found out I was a fast caffeine metabolizer, for example. So I won't have a cup of coffee, you know, like three hours before a time that I want to be awake and alert. I'll do it an hour before right. instead. Right, well, that's helpful. So there, there are some helpful things in there, but you're right. I mean, it, it kind of depends on your personality and the way that you're going to use that information. And also in... Your consideration of what you believe that the universe is going to bring to you, actually, indeed, bringing to you, and that's mm-hmm. where where you definitely you, know, you have to be careful thinking thinking in a in a fatalistic way when it comes to some of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the questions I put out on Twitter earlier earlier today that we were going to sit down and a bunch of people ask questions, and ninety nine percent of them we're not going to get to, but <laughs> <laughs> but one I think that is a good one was. Uh, you know, what is the point of commonality, you know, between a guy like you and a guy like me? And, and I'm like, most of it is common. You know, we differ on some specific things, 
that are personal choices, but, you know, there's a lot of commonality. We believe in, you know, healthy lifestyle and exercise. We believe in eating whole foods, you know, we believe in beating ourselves up on the lava fields. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot. So I think, I think at the end of the day, like a, a good takeaway is, you know, eat real food, eat whole mm. foods, you know, eat in, you know, to echo Michael Pollan, maybe you disagree with this and this is going to go into your winter plan, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> eat real food, mostly plants, not too much. You know, um, you might differ on that. It's kind of funny because I, po- uh, I posted photos of my diet to a blog post recently entitled, what do you eat every day? And someone commented under the posts, well, Ben, this looks like a plant-based diet with some, like some meat thrown in here and there. And I, you know, I, I do eat a lot of plants, a lot of vegetables. Of course you do. Um, I mean, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And, you know, in, in the house I'm building right now, it's, it's on about 10 acres and we'll dig up the majority of that and we'll have a huge vegetable garden. Um, we'll Mm. also have goats, we'll have chickens and, and we'll use those as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm definitely on board with, uh, with eating lots of plants. Right. Cool, man. What else are we going to talk about? Oh, uh, you know what? Somebody asked about flu shots. Do you get a flu shot? <laughs> no. I don't get a flu I don't, shot. I, I take, never get a flu shot. I take elderberry, oil of oregano, and echinacea. Those are like my- That's good. So yeah. I get essential oils. I get them from a certified organic um, source and just use those in the flu season and knock on wood, no issues so far, so- yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, I haven't got, I've, I haven't gotten a flu shot in forever and I rarely get sick. If I feel like I'm starting to get sick, I have a protocol I can implement that will sort of kick it in the butt and I can usually kick it in like a day or two, but, but I'm not going to inject myself with the disease itself. That's yeah. already sort of morphed beyond. Exactly. You know, <laughs> Along with metals, you know, and yeah. mercury. And I, I did a minimalist vaccination protocol for my children because we, we traveled so pretty we, extensively yeah. internationally mm-hmm. with them when they were, when they were infants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking back, I, I question whether even that was necessary um, with, with the research that I've done since then in, ter- in terms of the use of essential oils specifically mm-hmm. to be able to have some pretty good efficacy against a lot of We use a lot of know, essential oils and things with our, of that nature. With our little girls. Yeah. 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 Um, we did not vaccinate our little girls, and I realize that's super controversial for a lot of people. It is. Um, our boys are, are vaccinated. They're older. Um, man, that's a whole sticky wicket, I suppose. But, but one thing, another point of commonality between us is we both homeschool our kids, right? So how did you come to that like decision for your, you have two kids, right? Yeah. I was homeschooled K through 12. Oh, you were? Interesting. When I, when I was, it started about when I was in seventh or eighth grade, my parents just started kind of handing me the books and telling me to go through them. And I was that kind of learner. And Mm so I, I was almost self-schooled for for much of my my upper years, and then I had a tutor for a few things. Like That's I had a tutor kind of for calculus. It was a little bit of the unschooling approach, and you know, I'd, I I've read the uh, what's the unschooling book? Is it called Radical Unschooling? Or yeah, something, something like along that. those I lines. Know what you're talking about, but um, I I try and, and inject kind of a little bit of structure and a little bit of unschooling into our approach. Like we're, go- we're moving to Thailand for a month mm-hmm. next week. 
And a big part of our schooling this year has been teaching the kids how food works by preparing pad thai once a night every single week Mm -hmm. and learning Thai, learning to speak Thai and exploring Thai geography and also learning about, um, you know, we've we've really had a big focus on swimming because we want them to do a lot of like snorkeling and swimming over there. And we've kind of tweaked and shifted a lot of their learning towards that perspective Mm -hmm. over the past few months. How old are they now? They're five. Uh Oh, they're twins. That's right. They're twins. yeah, yeah. And then we also have structure. We use a curriculum called five in a row, which is kind of cool. And the way it works is you read one story a week. Like last week was Mike Mulligan and the steam shovel. And every lesson that you teach your child for that week is based on that one Mm -hmm. story. So we learned, I I took them out to a bunch of construction sites around town and showed them all the different kinds of tractors and dump trucks and trailers. And uh, we worked on geometrical patterns because that book is all about digging these square holes in the ground to like build a cellar and build Mm -hmm. these different skyscrapers. And um, what else did we work on? It basically, but the all, idea of, all of the going lessons, into it's could, one story. Yeah, you yeah. take one thing and you go deep into it. As and opposed then the next to week, you do another level. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And kids love stories. And so you know, we ended up reading Mike Mulligan like three times last week, and everything was centered around that story. And then you know, next week will be a different story. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's that's what we do. And then we combine that. You know, they're in piano and soccer and basketball and swimming right. and, and everything else. So we're Do trying to, like, uh, to give them well, social still, social opportunities. They're still they're still a little young for this, but are you using any online resources? So limited. Um, we've used the Udemy um, Thai class, the, the Thai language learning course on there. I've done a little bit, I'm blanking on the name of it. There's a, there's a website that lets your kid read online books and kind of walks them through page by page. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of that. I'm teaching them speed reading using a book called Victory Drill, uh, which is the same book I, I grew up on. And um, not doing a ton on the internet, really. Uh, we don't use it a bunch. I've, I've kind of got an issue to where I want my kids to almost be less dependent on computers and smartphones and electrical devices than I am. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a certain level of electromagnetic field exposure that is not healthy, especially for kids and their, their forming brains. And so I'm careful around that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's a fine line between using it to its full capacity and also just kind of shielding your, you know, we we turn off our wireless router every night. So there's a good eight oh. hours of the day to where we've got no Wi-Fi signal going on in our house. Uh, we've got dirty electricity filters in every bedroom. Like we're, we're really careful with that stuff. Um, you have yeah, a, like, you have a locker full of ammunition. And are you prepping too? <laughs> I do have a lot of guns. I do have a lot of guns and a lot of ammo <laughs> and gold and silver too. Right. I, I will admit, if the zombie apocalypse happens, I'll, I, I, figured, I will be one I'm of the survivors. Thinking, <laughs> I'm building my house, ten acres, vegetable garden. I'm like, all right, the militia. Yeah, my my wife Up does in, walk around with a G19 in her purse. So yeah. Pacific yeah, Northwest, it's all come together, Ben. Now, now I'm getting a picture of what's really going on up there. Yeah. So, (laughs) no, I like it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I like the idea of respecting the child enough to empower them to, to let them 
sort of guide you in the direction where they want to head. And then as the parent, you can be the, the voice of reason and the responsible mm. person to say, all right, clearly I'm getting a picture of what this young person is interested in. How can I create a learning experience around that? So they're already innately interested in what they want yeah. to pursue. And that, that level of interest is really the catalyst for true learning that's going to stick as opposed to read this book, take this test, moving on. It's hard though. It is like hard. I, I don't know what what you feel about this, but like it is so easy to get carried away with what I'm doing during the day because I work from home. Mm-hmm. You know, podcasting and blogging and all this stuff. And like when it's time to homeschool and time to focus on the kids, and you're ten feet away from your office, I mean, that's it is hard. Yeah. Like you know, and it, it's that's been the biggest barrier for me is combining working at home with schooling at home. And, I mean, you talk about sort of the social pariah aspect of trying to eat the way that you're eating. I mean, how does that work with homeschooling your kids in your community? I mean, how is that perceived? You mean in terms of like the social exposure for our kids? Yeah, or? like do you have – I mean, you're coming at it because you had that experience yourself. So, right. you know, like <clears> – so you have that sense of confidence in what you're doing because you've lived it. Um, but – you know, and in Los Angeles, more and more people are doing it. But I'm interested in, like, where you live. Like, how is that perceived? There are, like, social support groups, like homeschooling groups, and they do field trips together, like um, rock climbing trips and trips to museums and trips to the library and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and then we also use sports a great deal. So my kids go to peewee tennis and do tennis lessons, and they play on the soccer team and the basketball team, and they right. go to the swim lessons. And, so, yeah, I mean, you're talking like, about social – I mean – I'm not talking about like being worried about your kids being properly socialized. I'm talking about like your peers saying, you know, mm. you're homeschooling your kids. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, you know? yeah. Sure about that? No, they're you know m- most of the of the folks that we hang out with are pretty open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 one of those deals where I find that a lot of homeschooling families I don't really see eye to eye with because they tend to be what I call prairie muffins. <laughs> they're just kind of. Kind of a, a little bit backwoodsy, almost. You know, there's and, a little and, that, and then there's people that do it strictly for because of religious proclivities, right? Just, you know, whatever their religious right. perspective is, um, yeah. they choose to keep their kids out of out of typical school. Yeah. No, I mean the the way that I explain it to folks is that you know I, I don't care if my kids go to college. You know, if if they want to go and start a business with you know their their college savings fund, then they can go start a business with that. Um, if they want to graduate when they're 15 because they decided to do their last two years of high school in one year, then I'm fine with that. And Mm -hmm. I think that you really give your kid a step up when you don't make them learn at the rate that, that they would be forced to learn at in like a a group classroom setting. Um, and, and so, you know, there are, um, I really haven't encountered anyone who who is who has kind of given me the the shock and awe treatment in, in terms of homeschooling my kids, and you know it, it seems pretty pretty accepted. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. You know. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying about the kind of calendar that you know we sort of have these notions about the 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 appropriate time that a child should learn how to read or be able to do this kind of math or that kind of math, and every kid's different, man, mm-hmm. and they have their strengths and their weaknesses, and Who's to say that, you know, you have to learn this by this time, you know, and I think sort of being more open-minded and allowing in that process. I mean, I've just noticed it with our two little girls and, 
And, you know, certainly I had, you know, I come from a very traditional schooling background. And so this is a challenge for me to kind of, and I, you know, I struggle with it and, and, but now I'm seeing the benefits in, in my younger girls. And at first I was like, she, you know, oh, she's not, she's not reading like the, it, she should be doing this and this and this by this time. And then right. I kind of just learned to like, let it go. And I'm seeing them step into it on their own and the kind of empowerment that takes place with that because there's, they're owning it. And then, and, and they're, they're sort of taking that responsibility upon themselves with guidance, of course, but there's something really profound about that and and powerful, I think as a life lesson. Yeah. Yeah. That, that independence that they get and, you know, you teach your kid to, um, to be a leader, not a follower. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are certainly and drawbacks to that. The independent um, mindedness of that. I think that you, that the risk that you run is a kid who, um, sometimes breaks the rules when they're not supposed to break the rules. But I think that the mm-hmm. benefits outweigh the way, outweigh the risks of mm-hmm. creating, creating a leader and a kid who's able to think outside the box. Yeah. And, and like you said, it, it puts a lot more responsibility on the parent. You're not abdicating your education to somebody else. So yeah. you can just forget about it and talk that's about it over part. dinner. You have to, yeah, you have to really own that in a, in a different way. And that, that's a lot to handle. There have been many days where I've wished that my kids were sitting at <laughs> yeah, a desk somewhere yeah, yeah. away from the house, learning <laughs> from some teacher. Uh-huh. Um, but then, you know, whatever we we go for a hike and we spend you know two hours out in the field learning and walking and talking, and it just like you know that pushes the reboot button, and you realize how how cool an experience that you do give to your kids when you make a decision like that. So mm-hmm. cool, man! I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Right on. So, uh, so cool. I want to, I'm going to wrap this up and get you out of here. Um, but I want to hear about, uh, I saw on your blog also that you did, are you about to, or you just did a, um, thing with creative live? I'm, I'm about to, you're about I'm, to, have you recorded it yet? Or are they I'm do going down to San now, Francisco, right? right when we get back from Thailand, I'll go down to San Francisco and we're doing a three day shoot there called achieve ultimate human performance. Mm-hmm. So if you like to throw around the word hack, you're definitely yeah, going to see a lot I mean, that's, the, that's the home of the body hack. We're, already, you know? we're just going to do like like detoxing your home, making your own cleaning supplies and personal care products. Uh, uh, so you know, cooking tips. The prepper thing and, too, it kind of plays into yeah, this. Yeah, so it's going to be like all the stuff that goes above and beyond just working out, you know, or you know, or, or training and exercising. So, right. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, how did you hook up with the creative? I, I love what creative live does. And I think they're, they're like, they've really done such a nice job and yeah. the way that they sort of, um, produce and, and display their courses. You know, just about everything in this whole, like growing realm of, of internet learning or, or internet business or whatever. It's just a, a good old boys network. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I happen to have been at a, a summit called the Consumer Health Summit, which is put on by a guy named Michael Fishman. Yeah, I've been following like, him on Twitter. I haven't met him yet, but I'm interested in what he's doing. Yeah. He's a really good guy. And I met a guy at his summit who is involved with Creative Live and literally like that thing was fleshed out from, you know, messaging on Facebook back and forth. Right. So. You know, a lot of this stuff is is pretty much just you know it just happens to be who who you met at a conference or you know who you had a drink with or whatever. Right. I gotta so, go to more conferences. I don't do go to conferences. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get out there. I mean, especially when it comes to internet business. I mean, that like that's that's big is getting to to like go into some things with like you know some of the big names in internet business like Ryan Lee and Yannick Silver and um, 
you know, there's a lot of guys out there. Bedros Kulian. And, you I don't know, know who any of those people are. Yeah, see that if see, if, you, if, you wanted, if you want to if you want to take the internet thing to the next which, level, just tell me what conference <laughs> I need to go to. All right, I'd start with uh, with pretty much any conference that Ryan Lee puts on. You'll, right. you'll just basically meet like a dozen people right off the bat that that send you in the right direction. So, all right, yeah. cool. Yeah. All right, so Creative Live, and that that so that'll go up. But they, you do those courses; they are live, right? So you're They're doing live. that soon. Yeah, I'll have to wear my big boy clothes and stand up there mm-hmm. with a PowerPoint presentation. And yeah, yeah it's a, I mean, how many hours is it going to be? It's a lot. It's, it's like it's doing gonna be extended TED talk, like like. Uh, it'll come out to almost 24 hours of content over wow. three days. That's so a lot. It's That's a lot, a lot of, of prep. Yeah. I'm going to be on the airplane over to Bangkok doing some serious PowerPoint wow. creation. Interesting. <laughs> so, cool. Yeah. And, uh, and, and tell me what else you got going on. You got a new book. Uh, I got a new book over at, there's my, my shameless plug, right? No, um, it's not shameless. Just, beyond. Just pl- it's just plug. Don't it's, judge. It's, it's my, uh, my, um, my atlas of human performance. Uh, it's called Beyond Training, uh, Mastering Endurance, Health, and Life. And that's at beyondtrainingbook.com. Mm-hmm. So I cool. am in the the hair pulling out mode of getting chapters back from the editor and everything as we as we take it to, to hard copy publishing. And I'm sure you've been through through all that. Yeah, yeah. Recording the audio book and just you're doing, doing your you're doing your own you're doing your own read. Mm, I'm gonna do my own read. Yeah, good. Yep. All yep. Right. Yep. I decided to not hire some ke- some be- sexy <laughs> British are you woman do it to in record ketosis? it. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I I will, <laughs> I will do it. Uh, right. As a matter of fact, all the chapters I've recorded so far, I've been in an intermittent fasted ketotic state in the morning because that's right. when I think really clearly. So yeah, right. God bless you. Yep. Um, and uh, and if other people want it, so what else? That is that, those are the main things going on. What else? Come on, man. I'm I'm quitting. Don't make me pull I'm, quit, it out I'm quitting triathlon training for the most part. Are you? Uh, well, Forever? first of all, I'm done with Ironman. I'm cutting triathlon back to one swim, one bike, and one run a week. I I used to be a competitive bodybuilder, and I'm going to spend about four or five months just putting on a bunch of muscle mass. Just why to, do, what, what do you why? Just, uh, two reasons. Uh, number one, again, shameless self promotion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will. Just, you're I trying will, to find hashtag well, moments. Well, I mean, here's the deal. There are a lot of of guys uh, and girls who want more curves, more mass, who are maybe skinny and they want to put on some size. And so, I'm going to uh, do a do about a almost a half year guinea pig experiment where I see how big a skinny triathlete could get. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but you've been about you know I'll, how to do that already. You've yeah, been a bodybuilder. I know how to do. It. I'm just I'm pulling a few new tricks out of the closet that I've learned since I was a bodybuilder because mm-hmm. that was a little while ago. So you're gonna get all beefed out now. So I'll be a beefcake. Yeah, get a big thick neck yeah, and the whole thing. Yeah, I'm gonna get swole. Are you gonna start doing CrossFit <laughs> too? No, no, I'm not gonna do CrossFit. All it's right. too too trendy. I think right now too trendy. Right I thought yeah. that's what this is all about. Yeah, but there's too many people doing the CrossFit thing. I want to do something new. So right. yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, so you're gonna be like eating organ meat, uh, just, <laughs> right? Like, a lot of Braunschweiger and head cheese, baby. Uh, yeah. God. <laughs> all right, just brush yeah. your teeth before yeah. you come back here. Yeah, and then I'll I'll get back into doing sprints and Olympics and stuff probably around July or August next year. And so this is gonna know, be like a nine. Uh, this is gonna be like a nine month. Deal. I would I would ideally like to compete as a Clydesdale in triathlons next year. That's the that's but the idea. Your, your goal is to be a Clydesdale. I weigh one seventy five. I've I've competed as a Clydesdale before at two oh five and I weigh one seventy five right now. So uh-huh. I'm just gonna put on a bunch of muscle and uh 
just to, to see how fast you can do it. Are you going to try to do it like like stay cut, or are you just going to get huge? I'm gonna I'm gonna not get a pot belly while I'm doing it. Like I'll uh-huh. try I'll try and keep my body fat around like six to eight percent. So I'm at about seven right now. And so yeah. that's the thing I see. And again, this is completely anecdotal. But when I when I like sort of see people that are big time into CrossFit, they don't they're not like lean. You know, they look kind of like not bloated, mm. but just kind of like. A little puffy. A lot of them are bloated. Like a lot of the women, especially, they have like these abs that like stick out and stuff. And part mm-hmm. of that is inflammation from hypercortisolism and overtraining. Right. And part of it is so just, hard day um, in, day out. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping estrogen, big rise mm-hmm. in testosterone sometimes, especially in the women. Um, so, yeah, it's. Uh, <sighs> I, I actually just recorded a podcast this morning from my hotel room about how to gain mass without destroying your body, and a big part of it is not beating yourself up day after day with, mm-hmm. with wads or, or workout of the day, and instead, like, lifting <clears throat> hard and then giving yourself 48 hours of just, like, easy movement, yoga, foam rolling, you know, taking care of your body and eating crap loads of food. Right. Then, Have you uh, – uh, you're, you're probably already up, all up on this, but uh, ra- I was reading about rhabdo. Mm, with yeah. like how this is like a thing in CrossFit. I mean, is yeah. that really like a, I mean, how many people are hitting it that hard that they're suffering mm. from that? Any, or explain anytime, to people what rhabdo is. Anytime you've peed after like a really hard event, like you, pro- you were probably close to it during your, your five Ironman five day event. Um, what happens is you get enough muscle cell breakdown and enough protein in your bloodstream to where you're overworking your kidneys with with that much mm-hmm. nitro- nitrogenous you know ammonia byproduct, and so you can go into kidney failure, and it, it's essentially from breaking down too much muscle tissue, breaking down too much muscle fiber too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind kind of similar to like you know some muscle damage is good but too much overloads your kidneys and you simply can't excrete the toxic byproducts that produces fast enough. Right. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like ketosis versus ketoacidosis. Um, and yeah, you get a lot of CrossFitters going into rhabdo. It happens to football players. It's even worse in heat and dehydration and, and, uh, ibuprofen incidentally is another thing that can do it. If you combine like ibuprofen and an Ironman triathlon, you can do something very similar uh-huh. in terms of kidney load. So, Yeah. Yeah, I'd never heard of it before, but then I'd read it in the context of this. It's like a growing thing in the in the CrossFit world, and I didn't know whether that was hyperbole or actually that was going on. Maybe they should change their mascot from Pukey the Clown to like Rabdo the the Rhino or something like that. There is, I think there is some kind of they they make a joke about Rabdo. And Do they? That was what it said in this article. It was a blog on Medium. I, I don't even remember who read it, but anyway, maybe I'll put a, a link in the show notes up to that. Interesting. People could check it out, but um. Cool, man. And, uh, and, uh, bengreenfieldfitness.com. That's the main place to check you out, right? That's me riding my bike down the Queen K Highway and my budgie smuggler. Yeah, I know. What's up with the red Speedo in that photo, man? (laughs) That's my team Timex Speedo. People give me a hard time because all these pictures of me on the internet without my shirt on or whatever, but like you you just took it to a different level (laughs) with the Speedo. Yeah, that was actually a promotional shot for Quintana Roo bicycles that I ended up getting my hands on for the for the banner on the website so Mm -hmm. yeah cool so uh you want to learn more about what's what ben is up to you can go to that site and you're ben greenfield on twitter and facebook page ben greenfield fitness right facebook.com something something (laughs) all right bg fitness i think it is is. yeah fitness yeah i think so yeah man so you're gonna teach me how to uh how to dominate the internet like you let's do it yeah. yeah. What, if if you were me, what what would you be doing that I'm not doing right now? Mm, 
I would be taking more of the content that you're already producing and packaging it into nice little usable pieces of content for folks. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that that's really the ultimate, uh, you know, the ultimate passionate lifestyle based business is to solve problems for people, solve problems for your audience. I like to and, just have um, long rambling conversations <laughs> though. I'm not about the bullet point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, that's my you, problem. Have, you have to take some of the stuff and monetize it. And I, I used to have kind of an issue asking people for money for the content that I was putting out there. And that's something that you have to overcome too is, you know, you, um, if you're putting out good content that solves a problem for somebody, they're usually pretty cool with paying for it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just have to be willing to, to kind of put a, a price stamp and a, and a buy it now type of button. Right. The bright orange one with the little Visa logos with underneath big, it. With big arrows yeah. pointing to it. You have to research all, the stuff, research all the stuff <laughs> that actually converts. I mean, yeah. so, uh, you know, and, and this, is, this is probably not the best point to end on, but uh, when it comes to internet business, the porn industry has it all figured out. Yeah. And so if I you, should, so I if you look at what they're doing – that is that's the model to follow when it comes to offering people really nice free content and then if they want more they pay for it all right so so, so yeah. basically you're telling me you go study a bunch of porn sites right you got now. you got to go study up on the porn you can you can tell your wife i gave you that assignment all right well we have to end it on that right because i've got, I've got homework i gotta you go gotta hustle right? all right all right man thanks for uh thanks for dropping by i can't believe it took a uh, took us this long to uh, get to get together in person it was awesome your studio is beautiful yeah, and thanks, i'm man. super stoked that i that i uh, had the honor of being able to come on your podcast i appreciate you uh making the trip out and uh tell Vinny to stuff it when you uh, when you see him. What day <laughs> well, do you want to see him? Uh, today's Friday. I'm gonna I'm gonna see Vinny. Vinny and Tony and I are gonna podcast on Sunday. So. All right, cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah, Vinny and I keep talking about getting out on a ride, but we're all too busy doing this stuff now. All those days that we used to spend on the bike. Seriously, yeah. Someday we'll we'll invent a uh, a podcasting studio that you can take out on the out on the highway. Yeah, cool. All right, man. Well, enjoy the rest of your time in L.A. Thanks, Rich. All right, man. Peace. Later, man. Plants. <laughs> <laughs>